Welcome to the American Families of Faith podcast. Hosts Lauren Marks and Dave Dollahite share insights gained from two decades of research interviewing various people about the crossroads of faith and family life. Visit AmericanFamiliesOfFaith.byu.edu to learn more. This is the Families and Faith podcast. So I'm Dave Dollahite. I'm Lauren Marks. And we're going to talk a little bit about who we are. Like, who are these weird guys talking about religion and family life? Where are we coming from? So we'll talk about uh, sort of our upbringing and a little bit about our own family background or a little bit of our own religious background. So I'm going to uh, do a little bit of asking you a few questions. So who are you? And tell me about your upbringing. I grew up in a small town in rural Oregon called Brookings, right along the beautiful Pacific Coast Highway. Highway 101 was Main Street, where we live. I'm the oldest of Wait, Highway 101 was Main Street? Yeah, Highway 101's Main Street. Because I drove up along Highway 101 going 60 miles an hour when I was going slow all the time. So by the time I got up to Brookings, it was a small little road. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, varying between two and four lanes total. But beautiful, beautiful place to grow up. Oldest eight kids. I was a Mormon boy, just one of a handful in the high school where I was at, and it was hardly a bastion of conservative religious uh, life in the community where I am, where we were. It was a commercial fishing and logging town, but many would also say that the leading export might have been uh, marijuana, cannabis at that point, and so it was an interesting place to grow up. It's a pretty straight-waist LDS kid. Did you ever come across as you were out hiking in the woods? Did you ever come across, you know, fields of pot growing? I, I will neither confirm nor deny that. Uh-huh. And, and uh, did you ever get run off with uh, someone with, uh, you know, a machete or, or a gun saying, get out of here, uh, kid? No, that that never happened, but it was a, <laughs> a constant concern of my dad's when I went off on backpacking trips that that, that might happen. But uh, it was in some ways an idyllic place to grow up as a kid that loved the outdoors and sports. Wouldn't have had it any different. What about you, Dave? Well, I grew up in a little town that you could call Hippie Town, USA, uh, Hippie Town, California. There were hundreds, maybe thousands of Hippie Towns in California. But this little town I grew up in, Fairfax, in the Bay Area, was and remains well known as a hippie town. It has the Fairfax Festival every year where people come, now aging hippies, come from all over to, you know, partake of pot and rock and roll. The field that I played Little League Baseball on from about ages, I don't know, 10 to 13, once hosted a softball game between the Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane. And I wasn't there, but I've heard that it was like many softball games uh, that were played in that area, uh, yes, there were balls being hit and caught, but there was quite a bit of fun being had by all with various kinds of substances being partook of. And so, you know, the quality of the game probably diminished over time, I, I, w- I would just assume. Groovy man. Groovy man. Groovy man. So, yeah, I, I grew up uh, in that little town in the 60s and 70s. My dad was a police officer in that town. Uh, my mom was an office worker. And I was um, mostly into sports in my childhood, you know, running around with friends, playing doorbell ditch, hanging out, you know, 
doing all manner of juvenile delinquent kinds of activities that uh, that were a lot of fun at that time. I'll let you plead the fifth, but you, however, were not, uh, even though we're both professors of family life at BYU now, you were not uh, a straight-laced LDS kid growing up there. Your story has a few more bends than mine does. Tell me about your experience religiously. Yeah, I grew up in an Episcopal family. My dad was raised Baptist and then became an Episcopalian after his father was killed by a drunk driver when my dad was 14. And then not much after that, a couple of years later, his mom died. So he and his siblings were left without parents and an Episcopal priest and his wife uh, read about this in the paper and came by and and began building a relationship with them. And my father and most of his siblings joined Holy Innocence Episcopal Church. My mom was raised by a, a Lutheran father and a Catholic, uh, Irish Catholic mother. And she became an Episcopalian when she married my father. My mom had a child from a previous marriage. So when my mom and dad met and got married, my father adopted my sister Lana, who uh, I think she was eight or nine at that time when they got married. So I grew up going to Holy Innocence Episcopal Church and served as an altar boy or an acolyte for three years from age nine to 12. They, they didn't have any other kids to serve as an altar boy at that time. And so even though the typical age for confirmation was 12, they kind of pushed me forward a little bit and had me confirm when I was nine so that I could be the altar boy. So I got to carry the cross and help light the candles and help Father Ewald with the service. And so, yeah, I stopped going to the Episcopal Church when I was about 12. And for the rest of my youth, my religion was sports. Uh, Little League Baseball was on Sunday mornings. And so that quickly took precedence. And, and I played basketball and football and then tennis and so my, my adolescence was really devoted to, in a pretty religious way, to playing sports, to girls. I was not, was not a druggie. I was not a fortunate. I, I was uh, able to avoid ever getting addicted to any of the many substances that I partook of, but I did partake of a wide range of substances. Uh, now, looking back, I feel incredibly fortunate that I never got Dodge the addiction. I dodge the addiction demon, and that's no small thing. I I have folks that I grew up with that were my good friends for years who sadly did not avoid the addiction demon, and some some paid with their lives. Uh, many paid with their marriages and and their their health, and I feel incredibly fortunate. So, and most of that is because of my conversion to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints or the Mormon faith when I was. 18. But that's a whole, we'll get to that a little bit later. I'd love to hear more from you, Lauren, about your upbringing, your, especially your youth, sports, music, you know, just what, what was life like in, in the uh, metropolis of Brookings, Oregon? Wonderful family. I feel like I hit the family lottery in a lot of ways through no credit of my own. Wonderful mom and dad. Religiously, third or fourth generation member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on my mom's line. My dad, like you, was a convert to the LDS Church during his teen years. So they were, a, you know, an interesting combination. As I mentioned earlier, one of eight kids, you know, grew up in an energetic family, six sisters, one brother, was the 
academic black sheep of the family in some and you're ways. the oldest, right? I'm the oldest. My siblings are very bright and accomplished. We're certainly better students, more dedicated students than I was growing up. Like you, I was too busy chasing balls, especially basketballs, to apply myself the way I should have, I think, during high school. Uh, that you know, more focused kind of application came later. I think after serving an LDS mission, you had a, quite an experience in Boston, Massachusetts. I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin um, for a couple of years doing church service. Most of my time was in the inner city of Milwaukee. That presented a, a really different picture of life, contrasted with small town Oregon, close with my siblings to this day. Contrasted with your experience, there certainly are overlapping periods. I was offered marijuana for the first time when I was about 10 years old. I really feel like faith was a protection in some ways. The traditional upbringing that I had protected me from the demon of addiction that we've talked about before. And, you know, as I was thinking back earlier today, I remember a friend of mine in high school who was Wiccan. She asked me at one point, what exactly do you believe religiously? And I flippantly and yet somewhat seriously said, well, I can't do anything that you think is fun. <laughs> and uh, I think that that was an immature response on my behalf. But looking back, I think that I was fortunate to have some friends who are very tolerant of my different kind of worldview. My dad as a convert was wonderfully open. I remember attending services at various churches and my dad emphasizing respect for beliefs that were different from our own. And, and I think that we experienced a lot of that same respect, although just about everybody around us believed somewhat to quite a bit differently than we did. But uh, sports-wise, I to this day, I believe the all-time record for most errors made in a season by a shortstop uh, <laughs> on the rare occasion when I would field the ground ball cleanly. Everybody in the first base bleachers was uh, in fear of their lives because they knew that the ball was going to be coming hard and probably not end up in the first baseman's mitt. So I serving as a teacher and professor instead of a major league baseball player for very good reason. But it was a fun childhood. I wish everybody had the kind of childhood that I was fortunate to have, uh, Dave, as I had the joy of telling you in the past. So it's a little you, bit about me. You remind me of a uh, time when we played a, this was not Little League, this was the, the age up from Little League, so it was like Pioneer League, probably like 13, 14 years old. And we were playing against the team uh, that came up from West Marin, the Farm Boys. And they just seemed bigger and stronger and the pitcher for this team, West Marin, you know, I, we were, I think, 13 or 14, but he had a serious stubble growing up. I mean, he, and he, you know, he had, like, Harry Chesman. He was this big guy. And during the warm-ups, he actually threw a ball over the backstop. And so we all were looking at the guy who was our leadoff batter. I think it was probably Denny McLean. And poor kid, you know, he's a little little guy, so a small target. But still, we were thinking... Well, and this guy was throwing heat. I mean, he was throwing, I'm sure it was only about 60 miles an hour, but it seemed like it was about 90 miles an hour. Sure. And so, sure. you know, the, pop it in the mitt, and then, yeah, and then he threw one over the back. And to this day, I really don't know whether he did that on purpose just to put a little bit of fear in us all or whether that was just, you know, a really wild pitch. Just a bit outside. Yeah, just, you know, a little wild thing just, from just, Major just League. A bit, just a bit high. <laughs> a little wild thing from Major League. Exactly. Yeah, and, and so for me... 
baseball was the sport that I was the best at and had a good arm. I never played shortstop. I played first base. So I was the guy trying to catch those wild balls being thrown from the shortstop. My apologies. And the third baseman. And then I pitched and I was pretty good. Yeah. Had I stuck with baseball, I probably could have played college and who knows. My little league coaches like to tell me that I could have made the big leagues, but that is a whole fantasy, you know, it's a whole nother world. But yeah, I, I was not bad at baseball. I was really not very good at tennis. It's a whole story of how I even started to play. And I grew up in a very wealthy part of the country. The Marin County, where I grew up, was the fifth wealthiest county in the world at that time. I remember learning that as a high school. But you were not the fifth wealthiest family. I no, we, we were not. We were, yeah, we were definitely, you know, just in the middle somewhere. And so, you know, which was fine for baseball and basketball and football and, you know, those kind of sports. But when you get into the whole world of tennis, it's really a rich person's game. And so when I started playing tennis, I quickly found myself way out of my league, way out of my element in terms of going to tennis clubs and just a whole other income bracket, a whole other income bracket. And and in Marin County, really a whole other world. I mean, uh, and so. Yeah, so I was I was a kid from the other side of the tracks, tried to make it in a in a sport that I really was a latecomer to, and I worked really hard. But let's just say I should have stuck with baseball. <laughs> just, let's just say it that way. So you mentioned a little bit about your faith and family. My family, though, when I was a kid, I thought that we were pretty religious because I had to go to church every week, and a lot of my friends, mostly who were Catholics also had to go to Mass every week. And so that was sort of a normal thing. Turns out, actually, my parents mostly went to church so that I would have a moral upbringing. They themselves were not particularly religious. And back in those days, in the 50s and the 60s, a lot of parents felt an obligation to raise their kids in some type of a church setting or synagogue setting so that their kids would, you know, develop good moral values. And So after I stopped going to church when I was about 12, it wasn't too much later that both of my parents stopped going to church as well. So even though my dad was a lay reader, and so I would hear him stand at the pulpit and read from the Bible each week, and my mom was the president of the Altars Guild, so she was very involved. I, I sort of grew up thinking that my parents were really quite religious when actually they were more conventionally religious and really just they're mostly so that I would have that kind of upbringing. So it's a long story, and I won't tell it, but I converted to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when I was 18, nearly 19, when I happened to read a copy of the Book of Mormon that a woman, a co-worker of my mom's, gave to her. And I had a profound conversion experience, uh, read the book in just a couple of days, prayed, uh, had a, a transcendent spiritual experience, and literally overnight changed my life, began learning about the church from the missionaries and was baptized just a couple months later. And then, and everything really changed in my life. I was headed at that time, headed down some paths where I could have very easily found myself addicted. I was, um, my sister grew her own pot in her backyard and she would give me all the marijuana that I wanted a coworker who I didn't know at the time, but learned later, was beginning a, a drug dealing 
business and he was uh you know giving free cocaine uh to people to try oh, to get boy. them uh you know hooked and and he was you know giving me lots of free cocaine you know this was not crack cocaine so it wasn't nearly as addictive but i, I could have easily gone down there dangerous yeah so so i was you know heading down some paths that as i now look back and as i see some of my friends who were with me on those kinds of you know substance paths i dodged some pretty serious bullets and so, yeah, I joined the church, uh, went to BYU for a year, did a two-year mission in Boston. I spent about half my mission in uh, in the city of Boston and in Cambridge. So like you, I had sort of that coming from a small town, going to a big city on the East Coast. So lots of really interesting folks, had lots of opportunities to get to know people from many faith backgrounds, to be in their homes, to learn from them about their faiths, as well as teaching about my faith. So uh, let's see, uh, maybe we could just say uh, just a little bit about our current family situation. How old are you? And uh, tell us about your wife and, and your kids. I will be uh, 49 later this year. And as it happens, yesterday was the 25th anniversary for the love of my life, Sandra and I. What a ride it's been uh, in a positive way. We have five children. So did you buy her some silver jewelry? <laughs> Uh, I, I bought her dinner. No. Uh, it's a lot better eating than silver jewelry. Okay. No. Uh, no. We have five biological kids ranging from 23 to 12 years old. The 12-year-old thinks she's 30, huh. um, but that's part of what keeps it fun. We've had over 20 other children live with us for various periods of time in our home. and many ways, there are kids, too. It's been a wonderful experience. So that's a little bit about our current family situation. So when you say 20 kids living in your homes, just say a little bit more about that. That's, sure. that's an unusual thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, my wife, even, even before we got married, Sandra would say, I really want our home to be welcoming, to be a place of, of refuge for those who are having a difficult time. And I said, well, that sounds good to me. I assumed that that meant, you know, in terms of hosting dinners or having people over instead of for periods of time, you know, ranging up to a year or more. But that has been a great blessing. For some, it may sound a little bit crazy to say something like this, but we drive old cars and they seem to run better when we've got somebody that doesn't belong to us biologically staying with us. Life seems to go better, whether it's karma or, or something else or our own uh, colorful imaginations. We just enjoy life more when there's there's one or two more at the party. And so that's been a learning experience. In terms of 25 years of marriage, it has been wonderful to grow up in a lot of ways as a husband and father in the family situation that I'm in, the marital situation, as the American Families of Faith project that you and I have done together has grown up so that I've been able to learn in a very real, hands-on, real-world learning kind of way from the wonderful families we've interviewed, not just to, to turn around and, and turn those interviews into academic publications, but to be able to go home from an interview that night and to say, that wife, that husband that I interviewed seemed to do this really well. How can I adapt that? How can I borrow from that? How can I change and improve and do better? So in some ways, professional life for me 
and deeply personal family life, the, the boundary between the two has been permeable, if it exists at all. And, and what about you, Dave? Tell me a little bit about your family situation. Yeah, so I grew up in a family where uh, my dad, you know, he lost both of his parents when he was young. You know, his dad was killed by a drunk driver when he was 14, and that was pretty Man. traumatic. And back in those days, they didn't really sit around and talk about those kind of things. And so right. he he kept a lot of that inside of him. He, he never talked about his mom and dad. And he came and lived with us for the last 17 years of his life. And he, he never really talked about his childhood or his parents. I shouldn't say never, but we had to kind of ask him questions. We had to try to sort of pull it out of him. I mean, that's the so stoic silent generation on the whole and your dad certainly fit the mold exactly yeah. my mom on the other hand grew up with a irish catholic mother who was an alcoholic who beat her and when she was drunk beat her badly and yeah. and so my mom grew up in a very dysfunctional with a wonderfully quiet stoic father who ran away from home in norway when he was 17 and came to america but my mom grew up with this loud Irish Catholic mother who was what we call an angry drunk. So my mom had a lot of issues. She was, uh, she had a lot of anger, a lot of need to control. And so I grew up with, I want to say dysfunctional family, but my parents stayed married. Neither of them uh, beat me. Neither of them were alcoholics. And so looking around me at the time, I knew my friends had you know, parents who were alcoholics. I, I knew I had friends whose, whose dads beat them when they were drunk. I felt pretty, you know, pretty f like in the middle, like, like my family was about equally, uh, you know, happy or unhappy as, as a lot of other families I knew. But when I joined the church, I definitely felt like I had a lot to learn. I saw all these strong uh, LDS families around me. I was invited into people's homes, you know, like you invite people into your homes, uh, you know, as I was uh, investigating the LDS faith and a new member, a number of great families invited me into their homes. And I saw these strong, happy, you know, big, religious, you know, Mormon families, and it was very different uh, from, from what I observed. Uh, religiosity was more prevalent, and the fathers really sort of took this active role of leading the family in prayer and, and in home, family home meeting. So was I, that intimidating? Or yeah, it was did, very did, intimidating. But did it instill a hunger in you for that? I, I mean... Yes, both, and, both know, things. Both it, things. It, it instilled a realization that I had a long... That if I was going to marry some good LDS girl from some strong LDS family, that I better up my game. Mm -hmm. I better learn how to be a, a decent husband and father, I better, I better figure this out. So I, when I got back from my LDS mission at age 22 and a half, I decided to study families at BYU. And so I changed my major from theater to family life. And I figured I'll learn about families and that'll hopefully help me be a better husband and father. And then in doing that, I thought, well, maybe I'll become a family therapist. So I decided to get a graduate degree in family therapy so that I could actually do that kind of learning that I felt like would help me to be a better dad and a better husband. And it has made a big difference for me. It certainly has, has helped me. And so like you, my the line between my work 
and my family life, I have over the years borrowed a lot of things I've learned in reading and uh, frankly, a lot of things I've learned from my students here at BYU, you know, sort of all these kids that come from various backgrounds and, and you know, certainly not all coming from strong functional families, but enough of them coming from families that had pretty cool traditions and pretty cool things that their fathers would do. You know, so students in class will mention, oh, my dad used to have this one-on-one -on -one talk with me or take me on a daddy-daughter date or, you know, would take my brothers fishing. And so I heard a lot of things that I tried to incorporate mm -hmm. uh, in, in my own home. So let's see, and my wife and I, I've been married for 37 and a half years. Uh, we have seven kids ranging from 35 down to 20. And we got four really super cute grandkids. So so I'm 62. I'm, I'm a little older than you. I didn't realize you were so close to fit the big 5-0. Yeah, it's coming up. Man, that's getting up there. Doctors Dave Dollahite and Lauren Marks are both professors in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. The American Families of Faith project shares research-based ideas about ways of making faith come alive in marriage and family life.